Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Good to see everyone kind of here again. Uh, for those of you that joined us for worship night last week, that was wonderful. We look forward to having those each month, second Sunday of the month, six o'clock at the building. Um, we are continuing in our series on the book of John, picking back up a little bit into what, what John is saying, also kind of going a little bit off of what uh, what we talked about last week, and we're going to see the, the two of those things melt, melt together, hopefully, uh, this week. Before we get to that, I uh, want to pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we don't take it lightly that, that you're here. We don't take it lightly that uh, you tune in each week, and uh, hopefully you're taking this uh, in your home, in our home churches, and, uh, and hopefully it's, it's helping and and helping us all uh, look a little bit more like Jesus, a little bit less like our old selves that are now dead, right? All right, so we're going to pray, and then we'll jump into it. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, for being with us today. We thank you for guiding us, protecting us, delivering us. Father, I ask that you send your Spirit to fill us, fill us to overflow, that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive what it is you have for us today. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we ask and pray these things. Amen. So we're in John 8. No, sorry, John 9. Sorry, John chapter 9. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to be picking up here at verse 1. I'm going to read it, and then we'll launch into what I think we're supposed to talk about. So John 9, uh, it says this. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sent, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and then came back seeing. Therefore neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this the one who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am so this is an interesting story. Uh, Jesus is doing a lot here in this passage, and I believe I've even preached on this passage uh, before in our church uh, when we've been talking about healing. Um, most of you probably know, uh, if you don't, uh, we really want to lean in uh, to healing, and so we talk a lot about healing. Uh, just this week, I saw some pretty incredible uh, healings happen uh, this week. 
uh, one of one of the most amazing ones uh, was praying for someone uh, they had um, suffered from cutting themselves and uh, and so they, they were not wanting to do that anymore and the Lord is so kind um, all of the scars that had been inflicted on on the body uh, had disappeared once once we prayed so Lord loves to heal and, and it's one, it's one of the things that he does he, he's named himself the God who heals and so we've talked about uh, the God who heals. And we've talked about this a little bit in a, a healing context, and I'm going to kind of touch on that uh, again in a healing context. But really, I'm, I'm I'm talking in more of an overarching thing this week, and I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about promises from God and and processes from God. Uh, and so we're we're going to be talking a little bit about that this week. So. First, the text. The disciples are coming to Jesus, and and they're bringing this blind uh, person uh, to Jesus, and they're calling him Rabbi, Rabbi is teacher, and they're saying, you know, they're they're wanting to learn, they're wanting to learn and understand the ways of God. And this is one of our foundational texts, right? Psalm twenty-five. Uh, show me your ways, how you work, how you move. We want to learn the the ways of God, how He works and how He moves. And so they're coming to Jesus in that regard, and they're saying. Talk to us a little bit about this man here. He's blind. He's been blind from birth. So Jesus, who said uh, his mom or his dad? Now, what that seems to us like, oh, whoa, that's that's a big leap there, guys. Uh, why are you going there? But the disciples, remember, were good Hebrews, and they were uh, they they were enmeshed and ingrained and saturated with what we call the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, even uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. The Lord makes a promise to the people that, that um, he will bless them for generations upon generations as if they keep uh, him as the Lord and no other before him. We talked about this in the text, right? Where the Lord is decreeing, you know, uh, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. We, we hit on that pretty hard a couple weeks ago. And so in that text, he says, you know, if you don't do this, if you bring in all the other gods, if you bring in the outside, I will visit iniquity, which is sickness. Typically, it, it results in iniquity can be, you can think about it like some sort of like ingrained defect type of a sickness, like being born blind, on to the generations thereafter. Um, and so the, the disciples are asking a pretty legitimate question as they're trying to learn Okay, Jesus, teach us about this healing thing. Teach us about how the ways of God works. This person was born blind, so whose fault was it? And so Jesus is answering that, and the way that he answers it is very interesting. And so he says this. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, uh, but the that the works of God should be revealed in him. That's verse 3. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat, he spit on the ground, made some mud with, with the saliva, and he put it on the blind man's eyes and uh, told him to go wash in the pool. And the eyes were open. Now, he doesn't do this. Again, he heals other blind people. Uh, he doesn't do that the same way. That's important for us to remember uh, in case you run into someone who's blind, just don't spit on them. Like, you know, maybe the Lord says to do that. We'll see. But it's not necessarily a rule of thumb of how to get someone healed from blindness. 
But Jesus is here and he's answering their question about a promise. Now, it's, a, it's more of a negative promise from God. And, and he's answering that question with this really quirky, strange, once in a moment thing with the spit and the mud in the eyes. And so in reading this and in, and in really in spending some time with the Lord and, and really him speaking to me and all of this, it, it brings to mind, I think, a principle of, of life, a kingdom principle of how we're to navigate and live life. And, and, and so what I want to spend some time talking about are the way that the promises of God work uh, versus the ways that the processes uh, seem to work. And so uh, the promises of God here are that iniquity is coming uh, for, for these generations. And so it's a sin issue. That's sort of a, an overarching promise. But Jesus here, remember, being led by the Spirit, consumed by the Spirit, only doing what he sees the Father doing, he sees this moment of promise, and he says, not this one. This one is actually going to be this way. It's here right now so that God, the works of God, can be displayed. And then he goes into this, this spitting idea. It spits on the ground, all of that sort of stuff. You see, God makes promises all throughout the scriptures. Scriptures are full of promises of God. They're good. The promises of God are yes, right, and amen. And we love the promises of God. But the promises of God are not directional. The, pr the promises of God are not uh, meant to necessarily uh, give us how to do certain things. The promises of God primarily are sent to us, they're given to us as a weapon that we use to fight the enemy. You see, the enemy primarily uses like two, maybe three, a lot of times one tactic on how to get with us, how to get into us and how to begin to mess with us. And it's fear. The, the enemy will use fear as a gateway into our lives. And as we open ourselves up to the fears that the enemy brings, it then allows him to come in and it clouds our judgment uh, at best. And then it really works a number on us at worst. And, uh, and, and we, can, we can see the outcomes of that. Fear is the primary instrument by which the, the enemy uses uh, to attack and kill his pe uh, the people of God. Promises are the primary method that God gives us to combat the fears that the enemy brings at us. Okay? So, in other words, when the Lord makes promises to us, those promises, the, 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 the main function to those are that we can use those promises, cling to those promises, hold fast and hold tight to those promises when the wind and the waves and the fear and all of that stuff start washing over us. We use the promises of God. We hold on to the promises of God to, to get through those, those times of fear and overcome those fear. We are supposed to be overcomers, not succumbers. So we're not supposed to succumb to the fear. We're supposed to overcome it. How do we overcome it? We overcome it by holding fast to the promises of God, right? The blood of the Lamb and, and, the, and the testimony of the believers— testimony is about the fulfillment of God's promises. And so we, we talk a lot about God's promises. We, we, we spend a, a tremendous amount of effort and energy 
to try and get his promises ingrained in us. And, and the reason for that is because the promises are used as warfare, they're war tools, to ward off the enemy's fear tactics. Fear of man, fear of lack, fear of the unknown, fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of insignificance, fear of irrelevance, fear of hopelessness. All of these fears, it's fear. And he uses that, and then we we react to fear instead of overcoming those fears. The, the scriptures are very clear that we're to fear only one thing, and that is the Lord, right? We talked about that. When you fear the Lord above the fear of man or the fear of anything else, you, you, you can overcome it. And part of fearing the Lord is trusting in his promises, that he and he alone is good, and he and he alone will sustain and keep us because of the promises that are are listed. For example, we just a moment talked about healing. His name is healing. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so he named himself healing, right? I mean, he gave himself that name. And, and one of the things that, that we say is that he wouldn't name himself a lie. He wants to heal. He's for healing. He will heal. Uh, it, it is his will to heal. And so we take that promise and we fight against sickness. But we don't rest in just that promise, we then have to lean in and we have to listen to the Lord and get guidance from the Holy Spirit in how to navigate the circumstances. So here's Jesus. There's a promise. The promise is the iniquity is going to be de uh, delivered uh, upon the generations to come. It's a promise. The, the methods, the ways in this is that Jesus is actually going to heal this person. He's going to heal them in a very peculiar way. And he's not making this up. He's listening to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not just our Savior, which he is. He's not just our Lord, which he is. He is also our prototype. And, and we're to be like Jesus. We're to be like him, is what the scriptures tell us. Okay? So Jesus is, is continually in, in communication, in communion with the Father. In relationship with him and he's hearing and doing only only what he sees the father doing not what he heard the father proclaim many years ago but what he's doing right now he doesn't negate the promises but the promises are meant primarily as weapons not guidance guidance comes from the holy spirit it comes from intimacy Okay, so here's, here's what I want you to get. This is, these are big concepts, and I, I know, and I'm throwing a lot at you here. Um, you might, your brain still might be fogged from St. Patrick's Day, right? <clears throat> but promises are, are weapons. Process, methods, guidance, really, is what I'm trying to say, is intimacy. It's relational. It's leaning upon our relational intimacy with the Father. Listening, what do I do now? Where do I go now? How, how do I live now? How do I move here? What, what do I do, Lord? Here's this person who's blind. The disciples are coming. They're asking me legitimate questions. They're wanting to learn, calling me teacher. They're wanting to learn. They're disciples. What do I do here? This is different. Okay, I'm hearing. You're wanting to heal this person, okay? You're wanting to do it like this. Spit in the ground, really? Okay, I guess so. All right, boy, this is going to be interesting. And then the healing comes. The guidance comes from intimacy in your life. If you want to know what you should do next, if you want to know how to navigate through a situation, that comes primarily through intimacy. 
if you take take a, a ministry context where we're praying for healing, um, <clears throat> we have the promise that God wants to heal. Okay, that's a promise. He named himself healer. So we take that promise, and when the doubt comes, when we're not seeing the healing, when when the fear comes from the diagnosis. When all of those things come, we take this promise as our shield of what? Faith. We hold it up. Boom. It fights off the fiery darts of the enemy. Okay? Fear can be fought with promise. I'm going to give you a little bit of Bible for that. Uh, Again, looking at Jesus, looking at how he operates. How does he move? Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And this is the temptation of Jesus in the desert. Um, in the wilderness. And so it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. And now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So, 40 days. That's a long time without some food or water. I mean, that's that's serious. And so here's here's the, the enemy coming, tempting Jesus with, with not only his identity, but with the potential of starvation, uh, with all of these things, like if you really are the son of, of God, if you this, if you're this, this is the fear of being found out, the fear of being wrong, the fear of failure, then the fear of starvation, the fear of lack, all of those sort of things. What does Jesus do? Jesus takes the word of God, which holds the promises of God, okay? The promises of God are, are in the word of God. That's where we get the promises. And he says this, he quotes this, he says, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's using the promises that we don't just live on bread, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he's using that to combat the enemy's temptations, the enemy's fears, all of the things that the enemy is bringing to him. Our faith is in the promises of God. And so our faith is our shield, our shield of faith. It's a weapon. What do you have faith in, right? You have faith in God's promises, that he's good, that he will keep his word, that he will do those things, okay? Faith in the promises are the weapons of war. Guidance comes from intimacy. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And so let me, let me tell you how this works out in our lives, Okay? Oftentimes, what happens is that believers will will believe that promises are primarily used for guidance instead of weapons. And so when, when you get those two things confused or jumbled up, what that does is it removes the need for intimacy. And intimacy is the big point of all of this stuff. God wants, his desire, his hopes, his dreams are for an intimate relationship with you. And so when we only lean on promises for direction, we remove the need for intimacy and we lean on formula. And when we do that, we will mess ourselves up big time because we're taking one thing that's meant for something and we're turning it into something else as a replacement for an every moment daily intimacy with Jesus. And it's only through intimacy 
that, that we actually know how to move, know how to think, know how to be, know how to navigate this situation, uh, know how to, to do all of the things that we're supposed to do. And so often where I see believers get in trouble, okay, is that they take the promises as directives. Okay, so here's a great example. If my people who are called by my name, you've heard this one, humble themselves, I will stretch out my hand and heal their land, right? That's a promise. It's a promise. We know, okay, we're humbly, you know, getting down, uh, humble ourselves. God will heal the land, okay? So then what we do is we take that and we say, so this is how it works. He's just going to do it. He's going to heal it. I'm humble. He's healing, right? And we lean on that and we stop there, okay? But that was meant as a promise, when the land is wicked, when the land is, is unhealthy, when the land is evil, when the land is rotting, we have this promise of, wait a second, if we humble ourselves, God will heal our land, okay? But it, it doesn't necessarily say how he'll heal our land. And, and so oftentimes we stop short of what God wants to do <clears throat> because we are relying upon the promises to be directive, but that promise, again, remember, is, is to, to build our faith so that we can fight off the fears and the temptations and everything that comes at us. Now, how he heals the land takes intimacy. And we talked about last week, uh, if, if you didn't get a chance to listen, we talked about the idea of Gideon. And we talked about how God doesn't necessarily do things the same way uh, this time that he did the last time. And Gideon... You know, he, he's going up against this this uh, this army. He's fighting them. And and he, you know, he he says, OK, we're, we're going. All of these people come around and they're like, yeah, we've got it. We've got the numbers. We've, we've got the weapons. And the Lord says, nah, let's whittle this down quite a bit. Whittles it down. And then he says, OK, well, I guess these are like David's mighty men. Like these are the warriors. These This is it. And, uh, and I guess we're ready to go. You know, we're just we're going to take these guys. Each of us is going to kill like 20 or 30,000. I don't know how it's going to work, but let's go. This is great. And the Lord's like, well, we're actually going to use clay pots and some trumpets. And, you know, they encircle the people. They break some pots. They blow some trumpets. Bada bing, bada boom. You know, the, the people kill themselves. That doesn't happen again. I wouldn't recommend doing that. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you if you're ever in a battle, grab a pot, grab a trumpet. It's all you need. You're good to go. That was for that moment and that time. But God is, in fact, the deliverer. He is my banner, my strong tower. So as I'm facing a situation that maybe he's leading me into, or maybe that happens to me, and all I've got is a pot and a trumpet, I can go, okay, God is my deliverer. So that fear, gone, right? You fight that fear. And then you say, so what am I supposed to do with this pot and trumpet? And then he begins to lead you into that situation, into that point. Again, Jesus in John chapter 9. He sees these people. These people, uh, are. Was, this guy was born blind. The legitimate question is asked, why? Is it because of his parents? They actually don't even ask, is it because of his parents? They ask, which one of them? Because they've, they've known this promise. But there's other promises in there too, that, that God is a healer. 
uh, that, that God will also um, extend his grace and his mercy for thousands of generations. These are, these are competing promises. And so Jesus then goes, dial down. What do I do, Lord? What do you want to do here? And then the Lord says, I want to heal. And he says, right? Let's get back over there. He says this, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So it could be that this man sinned. It could be that his parents sinned, and this is why. Jesus doesn't throw that out as a possibility. But in this case, he says this. And then he goes on to say, I must work the works of, of him who sent me, the works of him who sent me, while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, we know that the night isn't here because he is the light, right? It says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's still the light of the world. He's still in the world. He inhabits us. We inhabit him. Uh, you know, he, he, is, he is among us and all of that. So, and then he commissions us to go and do the works as well. So it's still work time. We're not saying that now that he's gone to heaven, it's nighttime. No, this is the day. This is, we're standing in the midst of, of the moment that he, he was speaking to here. So the light is still here. And he says, it's time to work the works of God. And so the works of God relate to the intimacy that comes from relationship with God. So as, you know, what's the point of this? Why are you telling me this, Grant? Well, I'm telling you this, one, because I'm supposed to. But two, because as we're moving forward, as, as we're going through these times and these seasons, things are shifting, things are changing in the natural and in the spiritual. Uh, we're, we're going to need to know the difference between a promise and uh, guidance and discernment. We're going to need to know the difference between what the Lord has said and how the Lord wants to move and work out all of the things uh, in the day to day. The Lord is going to heal. He wants to heal. The Lord is our salvation, our strength, our deliverer, our strong tower. So he is those things. Now, how should we do this situation? This is how it works. So the fear comes in. The fear comes in that you're never gonna, uh, you're never gonna make it out of this. Well, okay, fear. I have a promise. The promise is the Lord is my deliverer. He's my strong tower. He's my refuge. So, boom! I'm fighting that fear. Now, how am I going to get out of this, God? How are we going to get out of this? What are you going to do? What should I do? That's relational. That's leaning in. That's that's moving into a, a port of, of the relationship with God, of guidance and direction, of intimacy. So, as we're going forward, I want you to become acquainted, if you will, with the promises of God. I want you to become in, enraptured with the promises of God. The promises of God are going to fight the fear that is going to come at you. Fear right now is rising in the earth. Fear is completely overtaking people. Fear is at the door, okay? And he's probably at the door of your life. So how do we fight the fear? We fight the fear with our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in the promises of God. So when that fear comes in, don't let it get a root. Don't let it sit. Don't let it stay. It turns into anxiety and stress and worry and, yes, sickness and death and all of the things. 
Fear is this seed, it's this entryway. So you fight the fear with the promises. I've got some promises that I just I just printed out here. So this is good. This is Isaiah, uh, and you Google, you just Google promises of God in the Bible, you'll find a tremendous amount. Take them, print them off, memorize them, okay? It says this, for the mountains shall depart and the hills will be removed, but my kindness, this is God, my kindness will not depart from you, nor will my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Well, that's great. So there is peace that can't be removed. Jesus talks about this peace passes understanding is what Paul says. Uh, so, so we have this peace. So when we see things that seem anti-peace, okay, wait a minute. Here's the promises. I believe in the promises. I fear only God, not this fear here. And the God that I fear above everything else says this. My covenant of peace will not be removed. Okay. So I can still have peace despite all of these circumstances. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Man, that's good. He cannot deny himself. I wish I would have come up with that. When we don't have any faith, he has enough for us all. And he is faithful. So even when you don't feel faith, you don't have to feel it to know that he will be faithful. It is his name. So if you're, if you're low on faith and things are coming at you and the enemy condemns you and says, you don't even have faith for this. And you can point to this scripture in, in 2 Timothy 2.13 and say, no, no, no. Even if I don't have faith, he is faithful. And guess what will happen? Your faith will begin to rise and your shield will come up and you'll be able to deflect the darts of the enemy. This is how it works. This is real stuff. I mean, I mean, this is, this is how the spiritual realm operates. I'm, I'm, the, I want you to understand, this is not a metaphor. This stuff really happens, okay? Man, I deal with it all the time. People are being ravaged by the enemy. And, and we have been given tools and weapons to fight and to, and to fight that back and to not live like that. And they're all throughout scripture. It's not some sort of magic formula. I mean, he, he says it right here. And we only need to believe it. We only need to begin to do the things that he says to do. And if we begin to do those things, fear will not overtake you. There's a massive epidemic of suicide, uh, of depression right now, of all of those sort of things because fear is winning and we will not let fear win, not in my life and not in yours. This is how. Second Thessalonians, but the Lord is faithful. Second Thessalonians 3.3. 3. The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. So when you, I mean, I know there's some of you because I've, I've been with some of you recently who have literally seen the evil one's demons start to encroach around you, like with your eyes at night. You've had dreams, you've had visions, you've actually seen it, and they're terrorizing you. And they're, they're telling you things. They're telling you to kill yourself. They're telling you to do all these sort of things. And you feel overwhelmed because they look a lot scarier than you are, right? And so this is that promise for you. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil. He will do it. And that's how you fight the fear. And then you say, okay, Lord, what do I do here? How do you work? How do you move in this situation? Okay? John, uh, or Psalm 119, verse 90. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus wouldn't tell you to do something that you were not able to do. A 
Apparently, you can somehow have your heart not troubled when it seems like it should be. The promises of God are important, so important. And I, I would I would challenge you to, to take take a list and write out your fears, write out your, your worst cases scenarios, write write those things down in a list. And then take these promises. Go go into the scripture and find those promises that negate those things. And then see where you put your faith in. Do you put your faith in yourself? Do you put your faith in your circumstances? Do you put your faith in the God of of man? Do you do you put your faith in the world's gods, or do you put your faith in the God of the world? And the God of the world has promises to prosper you and not to harm you. And those promises will never be rescinded. But those promises are not necessarily for guidance. Those are for fighting. Your guidance comes from your relationship. So take the promises, fight the fear, and then get with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father and say, what do I do now? What are you doing? Where do I go? How do I move? Teach me your ways. And you will begin to see the Lord deliver you into your promise. You will begin to see effectiveness in your prayer life. You too will begin to see healing occur and spring up everywhere because you fought the fear of doubt that, no, he wants to heal. This is getting healed. I know it. He said it. Now, how? God, how do you want to heal? Where do you want to, what should we pray for? And, and follow him into that. This is how it works. This is this is a kingdom principle. This is a life hack. This is how we do our faith. And you're going to need this. I need this. And you and we're going to need it more in the days ahead. So, take this. Take his promises. Hold fast to his promises and then lean in to his heart. Lean into his his whispers. Lean in to the intimacy. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go. Father, we thank you that you are faithful. You are the God that keeps his promises. And your promises are true. They're true. They're true. And nothing will ever come between them. Help us to remember your promises. Saturate our mind with your promises. Permeate our spirits with your promises so that we may fight fear because you did not give us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind that comes from your promises. And then Lord, would you, would you make us close? Would you be close to us? Would your relational uh, intimacy continue to grow? Would, would, would all of, of our stuff go away and can we have more and more and more of you? Can we hear your voice? Would you open our ears so that we can hear and our eyes so that we can see and our hearts so that we can receive what you have for us so that we can navigate through the trials and the tribulations that are yet to come and are here now. Be with us, your people. Lead us not into temptation, but into life everlasting. And it is only because and through Jesus that we can pray and ask and believe for these things. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. And it is his name that we say these things. Amen. We look forward to seeing you. Uh, in our home churches. We want to see you back here next week. Listen, if you're not in a home church, get in a home church. That's another way of someone else who's not dealing with what you're dealing with can remind you of their promise and can help you fight the fear 
that is crouched at your door. We love you, Vineyard folk and family and all these people that are listening. And, and, and we want you to be more than overcomers, more than simply survive. We want to thrive in the land of the living. We'll see you next week. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.